To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We now welcome our TV and radio uh, listeners uh, to take a look at ExxonMobil. The stock is down uh, about 1.2% on earnings. Now, it missed earnings estimates in the third quarter. It did boost its dividend and a huge, huge increase in cash flow. So we want to get more details here with Darren Woods, ExxonMobil chairman and CEO. Darren, we really appreciate you joining us on this very busy earnings day. Um, I just want to start a little nerdy. Uh, and that's with the chemical side of the business. That's really what led to some of the weakness in earnings. Chemicals is a really wonderful indicator as to the global economy. What should be our takeaway from that weakness for you guys? Well, I think there's two things to look at in, in our chemical business. One, obviously, is demand and the, the link to GDP. But the other is the supply. And we typically see that commodity cycles in chemical are driven by generally growing demand, but then, then peaks of, of supply coming on. And that's certainly been the case that post the pandemic, a lot of supply has come on. We haven't seen excessive growth in GDP. And so you're seeing that pressure manifest itself in very low margins. Mm -hmm. But that's a supply issue. Demand hasn't been as strong as in the past, but we're still continuing to see rising demand just at a much slower rate uh, than historical. My expectation is GDP begins to pick up and China continues to kind of come out of its uh, post-lockdown issues that we'll see uh, growth in, in, in chemicals pick up. But we're still going to have to work through the supply overhang. Okay, so that's a more of a supply issue than a demand issue. That's good to know. Um, to that point, if we just go to the broader oil story, because in some ways, let's get through earnings, but really the story for you guys is the Pioneer deal uh, and the takeover there. And some of the numbers that you guys were tossing out here are huge, like increasing approvable reserve to $1 billion in the Permian. Some analysts are worried that you can't get that far. What are you guys going to do that gets you there? Well, what we're going to do is what we're already demonstrated we're capable of doing. So if you go back in time, Alex, you know, we set out a strategy to make sure that we were applying the full weight and force and capabilities of our company into the unconventional space. And that's been a concerted effort to develop technologies to improve recovery. We've been implementing that in the acreage that we've got today in both the Delaware and the Midland. We're seeing very good results. We've demonstrated the ability of those technologies, the techniques and the development processes that we have in place. And what we're doing now is taking that proven capability and applying it to the best acreage in the Midland. And so uh, Pioneer is basically in the fairway of, of uh, acreage in the Midland. And so we've got this very very um, uh, good acres that we're now going to apply these the capabilities that we have in Exxon. So that's the combination. They are demonstrated capabilities that, that we have built into those synergy numbers. It doesn't comprehend the additional uh, technology that we're working on today that's in the pipeline that, frankly, we think has promise. So our view is while the numbers are big and it reflects the capabilities that we bring from ExxonMobil, and marry up with the, the acreage and the capabilities that Pioneer has, uh, we've got additional upside coming down the pipe. Wow. Darren, good morning. It's Guy. Um, you Guy. Are, to, to your point, and, and you're just talking about what is happening here, but I think it goes and speaks to beyond that and what else you're doing. You are proving to be very good at execution, project <laughs> execution. You, you're demonstrating that. You've got a new refinery coming on. You are proving to be very good at that. Others in the energy space are not. 
particularly within the renewable space, where it is proving to be very difficult to execute well right now. Can you just talk to me about how big an advantage that execution story is and how you can leverage, it, leverage that to do more? No, I think you've hit on a really important point, Guy, and you're absolutely right. It is critical, particularly in a capital-intensive industry like ours, to be very good at executing large, complicated projects. In 2019, we consolidated all of our resources on projects into one global organization. That organization has the sole focus of making sure that we are developing world-class industry-leading projects and then executing them uh, ahead yep. of schedule and ahead of budget. And we're demonstrating that. That applies itself to our low-carbon solutions business today. And so if you look at the challenges of going from carbon capture or biofuels at scale or hydrogen at scale, marrying that with requirements of uh, storing and sequestering CO2, we're, we are in the sweet spot of pulling all those things together and doing it at scale, which is going to be required to address the challenges out there with respect to the size of the emissions that we have to reduce. There aren't any other players out there that have that same no, uh, yeah. capability. And that gives you a huge advantage. Now, you've just done the Pioneer deal. Alex was talking about that. Does that execution ability, though, now give you the opportunity to look at what's happening in the renewables space where there is a tough time emerging and start to cherry pick assets there as well and use your ability to execute to turn those assets around. I would tell you, we're gonna leverage not just our project capability, but our technology capability. And the way I've characterized it, we're a molecule company. Uh, not an electron company. And so we bring more value in the space required to manage and, and transform molecules, hydrogen and carbon molecules. Mm -hmm. That applies to CO2. And so what, what we're gonna apply our, our uh, capabilities to is the molecule side of the equation, which is carbon capture and storage, hydrogen, biofuels, capturing the emissions associated with, with existing uh, harder to decarbonize industries mm -hmm. that don't have any real practical alternatives and applying that. So we see huge opportunities there. And in fact, our local carbon solutions business is, is turning those opportunities into high return projects today. Yeah, I know. And I know that Dan Ammon has talked about the fact that he won't do it unless he gets those high returns uh, for low carbon solutions. Darren, would that include buying a refiner, buying more refining, asset, or refining assets? Like if you got to move the stuff, if you got to move the molecules and make different things out of it, you need different refining capacity. So I, you know, we when we look at our refining uh, circuit, we're looking for what I'd say is a diversified uh, set of capabilities and advantages. So if you look at what we've been doing in refinery, we've been concentrating our refinery footprint and focusing on the strategic refineries that are producing high-value products in the lubricant space, the chemical space, the uh, fuel space, the traditional fuel space, but also the opportunity to use our technology to then bring in biofuels and biofeeds to make uh, lower emissions fuels. So we feel really good about the print we have today, you can't just go out and buy that from a refinery. It really comes from years of integrated approach to investing and making sure you've got a refinery that is producing a portfolio of products that meet society needs. Darren, none of this happens in a vacuum. You must be watching very carefully what is happening in the Middle East. I assume you are. Is there, to what extent do you think there is the possibility of a repeat of the 1970s, another oil shock coming? Or do you think the supply base is now diversified enough to avoid that? And I'm also hearing conversations regarding the possibility of, of a super cycle re-emerging. Do you see any eventuality that could lead to that at this point? How would you, how would you address these two issues? 
Well, I would, I would start with the latter. And, and again, I, the industry is still recovering from the impact of the pandemic and uh, the lower levels of capital that have been going in across of the industry to, to offset the depletion that's been happening. And so supplies are fairly tight. So the big issue is, you know, where's demand at? If you see uh, real growth and growth in demand, then that's going to challenge the supply base that we have, which will put more pressure on prices and margins. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really a function of where does the global economies go in the years ahead? Because for the next couple of years, it's going to it's going to take time to get uh, additional capacity coming on. Darren, With respect to the yeah. Middle East. Yeah, no, go ahead. Finish. With, res with respect to the Middle East, what I'd say, it is still an important region in the world. Uh, and while to date, um, the tragic events are not uh, manifesting themselves in an impact, you know, that's something we're keeping a very close eye on. Darren, do you see the global economy entering a recession, soft landing? Do you see any of that on the horizon? I think if you if you step back and look, the U.S. I think is in reasonably good shape. I think China continues a very slow emergence from some of the challenges it's had in the past. Uh, I think Europe is probably the most challenged region as I look around the world. And obviously, they've been disadvantaged with the lack of energy security and some of the challenges they've had with the loss of, of uh, affordable natural gas. And so I think that's going to continue to weigh on the European economies. Mm -hmm. And then I think feel relatively uh, comfortable with what we're seeing in the other parts of the world. And we'll see, we build the business to handle any economic uh, situation. Mm -hmm. We certainly go through these cycles. And so we, we make sure that we're robust to the down cycle. Uh, Darren, you kind of led me perfectly there because I wanted to ask about uh, LNG, in particular, uh, Guyana. You have a new partner there and at Chevron, you guys are not unlike working with each other. You guys do this all the time. Have you talked to Mike recently? What kind of development can you guys come together and really drive technology to get more stuff out of the ground there? Well, I think if you look at what we've been doing, Guyana, we've got a really good track record there. You know, we're the operator there. We're, we we run the projects. We're, we're developing those projects. We've demonstrated over the last several years the ability to bring in these large, complicated projects at uh, world-class schedules, uh, world-class costs. We're beating our budgets. We're beating our schedules. And then once we get them online, we're running them at levels higher than what the investment basis was. So a very successful uh, development process. We've got three boats, the third boat coming on uh, here in November and three more in the pipeline. So I think we've got a pretty good suite of technologies and capital uh, projects that our organization is developing. Uh, we've worked with Hess in the past. Of course, we work, in, we work with Chevron all around the world. I see them, uh, their participation basically, basically coming in and supporting the work that we've already demonstrated our ability to deliver on. Darren, this is an industry that feels like it's back on the front foot that you are optimistic, that you can see deals getting done. The industry is doing deals. We've seen two massive ones over the last few days. Yours uh, obviously included within that. A, do you think that's true? Which then takes me to a kind of bigger picture story. This industry has been pushed back hard over the last 10 years, let's call it, by the ESG movement. Do you think that ESG movement is now over? I hope not. I don't think, you know, ESG from our standpoint, this is not an either or proposition. This is an and equation where you've got to do both. You've got to develop the resources and the energy supplies that the world critically needs to support economic growth and support people's standards of living. And we've got to do things to reduce the emissions. We're working on both of those things. And so I don't see those competing against one another. In fact, to my point before, we're working on a set of solutions that are complementary and, and leverage the same skills and capacity. So 
We've always leaned into the need to produce low cost, uh, low emissions energy sources and do that in our traditional businesses. We have continued to invest in that space and we're continuing to work opportunities to grow value in that space. At the same time, we're leaning into the, the energy transition and using those capabilities to help not only reduce emissions in our own operations, but we're helping third parties, mm -hmm. particularly hard to decarbonize industries, lower their emissions. We've got three uh, large world scale contracts with uh, a fertilizer uh, uh, manufacturer, an industrial gas mm -hmm. manufacturer and steel manufacturer to cap capture their emissions. Those three contracts in yep. themselves is the equivalent of putting 2 million electric vehicles on the road. That's the number of electric vehicles that are currently on the road in the US. So think about that. Yeah. Three deals with carbon capture and storage equate to the same level of uh, electric vehicles that are currently on the market. Hey, Darren, we know you got to run. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time with us today. It was great to get through that. Next time, we're going to talk about four-mile laterals and new technology. Uh, Darren Woods, ExxonMobil Chairman and CEO. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.